Welcome back to another edition of Scores of the Day, the pre-interview show that I have now started hosting. Let's get right into it, recapping with the MLB. The Tampa Bay Rays win a crazy game 8-7, walk it off in wild fashion. There are multiple lead changes, everything an offensive fan about baseball wanted in this one game. To recap, Randy Arozarena clinches the MLB record for most home runs in a postseason. You know, one question I have is, say these were normal times with the regular 10 teams, would he had clinched the record? Most likely not, but that's not up for me to discuss. Speaking on that point, actually, recently Rob Manfred came out and said that he thinks 16 teams are too many for the postseason. And for me, as a fan, I love 16-team playoffs. You know, with hockey, they always went that way. But, you know, with the MOB, the one side of it is, you know, you're promoting mediocre teams with, uh, you know, the 16-team playoffs. And maybe Manfred doesn't want to promote, you know, 500 or even sub-500 teams making the playoffs. Moreover, on the recap, every time the Dodgers would score in the top inning, the Rays would answer in the bottom half of the inning. Simply put, the Dodgers couldn't hold on to the lead, and the bats of the Rays came alive, and those bats were clutch when needed most. Let's move over to the NFL. So these are Week 6 scores. The Chicago Bears improved to 5-1, being the Carolina Panthers, who dropped to 3-3, 23-16. Chicago is 3-0 on the road for the first time since 2006. Nick Foles throws for 198 yards, finishes 23 for 39 with a touchdown and an interception. David Montgomery rushes for 58 yards on 19 carries. Allen Robinson had 53 yards on 5 catches. The Indianapolis Colts use a big second quarter to storm by the Cincinnati Bengals 31-27. This was the Colts' first win trailing by 21 plus points since week 5 of the 2003 season. Phillip Rivers throws for 371 yards, finishes 29 for 44, 3 TDs, and an interception. Jonathan Taylor rushes for 60 yards on 12 carries. Marcus Johnson had 108 yards on 5 catches. Indianapolis improves to 4-2 and the lowly Bengals are 1-4-1. The Detroit Lions beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 34-16. DeAndre Swift is the first Detroit Lions rookie with 100-plus yards, two touchdowns since 1989. Matthew Stafford throws 223 yards, 19 for 31, a touchdown and an interception. DeAndre Swift rushes for 116 yards, 14 carries, and two touchdowns. Kenny Galladay, which in my opinion is one of the more underrated wide receivers in the league, and I suggest for you fantasy owners out there, pick him up for your team because I'm sure it will pay off. Had 105 yards on four catches. The Lions improved to two and three, and Jacksonville continues to lose and is one and five. Atlanta Falcons and the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, it's basically a battle for Trevor Lawrence at this point. Atlanta scores 10 points each quarter to lose the battle for Trevor Lawrence, 40 to 23. This was Atlanta's first win on the road at versus Minnesota since Week 16, 2008. Matt Ryan threw for 371 yards, finishes 30 for 40 with four touchdowns. Todd Gurley rushes for 47 yards on 20 carries. Julio Jones had 137 yards on eight catches and two touchdowns. Both teams are one in five. In other news, the Falcons finally fired Dan Quinn. To be fair, I believe Dan should have been fired after the 28-3 choke as, you know, as everyone has seen up to this point, the Falcons keep on choking. 
An NFC East showdown. Something that doesn't make anyone hyped up. The New York Giants versus the Washington football team. New York wins 20-19. Jones' money against Washington as 3 of 4 career wins is versus Washington. Daniel Jones throws for 112 yards, 12 for 19 with a touchdown and an interception. Daniel Jones rushes for 74 yards on 7 carries. Darius Slain had 41 yards on 2 catches with a touchdown. Both teams are 1-5 on the season and if you're with me, you would cancel the NFC East as well. The Baltimore Ravens avoid a late second half scare and squeak past the Philadelphia Eagles 30-28. To be fair, it was a really stupid two-point try by Philadelphia to try and tie the game to send the game to overtime. Baltimore has scored in every quarter this season. Lamar Jackson throws for 186 yards, finishes 16-27 for with a touchdown. Lamar Jackson also led rushing for Baltimore with 108 yards on 9 carries with a touchdown. Marquise Brown had 57 yards on 4 catches. Baltimore improves to 5-1 and Philadelphia drops to 1-4-1. The Pittsburgh Steelers steamrolled the overrated Cleveland Browns 38-7. Baker Mayfield got benched. Pittsburgh remains undefeated 5-0 for the second time in franchise history. The last time they started 5-0 was 1978. Ben Roethlisberger throws for 162 yards, finishes 14-22 for with a touchdown. James Conner rushed for 101 yards, 20 carries, and a touchdown. Chase Claypool had 74 yards and 4 catches. The Canadian continues to impress during his rookie season. The Browns are 4-2. Tennessee Titans win a nail-biter against the Houston Texans 42-36 in overtime. Tennessee starts 5-0 for the second time in franchise history. The last time they did that was in 2008. Ryan Tannehill throws for 364 yards, finishes 30-41 for with 4 touchdowns and an interception. Derrick Henry just did Derrick Henry things, rushing for 212 yards, 22 carries, and 2 touchdowns. Anthony Ferkser had 113 yards on 8 catches with a touchdown. Houston drops to 1-5. The Denver Broncos beat the New England Patriots 18-12. This is Denver's first road win versus the Patriots since Week 3, 2006. Drew Locke throws for 189 yards, 10-24, of 24, with 2 interceptions. Philip Lindsay rushes for 101 yards on 23 carries. Tim Patrick had 101 yards on 4 catches. Both teams are 2-3. The Miami Dolphins shut out the winless New York Jets. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. More like L-O-S-S, loss, loss, loss. Dolphins win 24-0. Ryan Fitzpatrick throws for 191 yards. Finishes 18 for 27 with 3 touchdowns and 2 interceptions. Miles Gaskin rushes for 91 yards on 18 carries. Adam Shaheen had 51 yards on 3 catches with a touchdown. Jets start 0-6 for the second time in franchise history, and the last time they did that was in 1996. Dolphins improved to 3-3. In other news, it's 2 time in Miami. As an Alabama fan, I have high hopes for the kid and I hope he has great success. Just not against my Buffalo Bills. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers roll over the Green Bay Packers 38-10. Green Bay only scored points in the first quarter. Ronald Jones rushes for 100 plus yards in three consecutive games. Tom Brady throws for 166 yards, finishes 17-27 for with two touchdowns. Ronald Jones rushes for 113 yards, 23 carries, two touchdowns. 
Rob Gronkowski had 78 yards on five catches with a touchdown. Tampa improves to 4-2. This was Green Bay's first loss on the season, and they are 4-1. Recently, Antonio Brown has signed a one-year contract with the Buccaneers, so the Brady-Brown connection is back. Brady has a lot of talent with him, so let's see if he can use that effectively. San Francisco 49ers beat LA Rams 24-16. Jimmy Garoppolo improves his record in primetime games to 7-1. Garoppolo throws for 268 yards, finishes 23-33 of with 3 touchdowns. Raheem Moster rushed for 65 yards on 17 carries. George Kittle had 109 yards on 7 catches with a touchdown. San Francisco improves to 3-3 and LA drops to 4-2. The Kansas City Chiefs beat the Buffalo Bills 26-17. Kansas City had a combined 245 rush yards, which is the most since week 16 of 2012. Patrick Mahomes throws for 225 yards, finishes 21-16 of 16 with two touchdowns. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had 161 yards on 26 carries. Demarcus Robinson had 69 yards on 5 catches. Kansas improves to 5-1, and, and Buffalo drops to 4-2. The Arizona Cardinals go wild and win big against the Dallas Cowboys, 38-10. Dallas defense had allowed 30-plus points in 5 straight games. Kyler Murray throws for 188 yards, 9-24 for 24 with 2 touchdowns. And let me tell you, Kyler, that kid, he has totally impressed me up until this point. Kenyon Drake. Another Alabama alumni rushed for 164 yards on 20 carries for two touchdowns. Christian Kirk had 86 yards on two catches with two touchdowns. Arizona improves to 4-2 and, and Dallas drops to 2-4. and four. In other news, prayers up for Dak Prescott. That was a really, really gruesome injury and I hope he does come back and basically better than ever. You know, I never want to wish that gruesome of an injury on someone. That was scores of the day. Let's throw it to the interview with Ryan Kuffner. Welcome back to another edition of the Pedicast. I'm your host, Michael Pagani, joined alongside Bakersfield Condors forward, Ryan Kuffner. Ryan, how are you today? I'm awesome, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks for opening up your DMs. You know, it's obviously great to have all these athletes coming from, you know, all these different leagues to come on my podcast. Very happy to have you on. Lots of people have been watching Tiger King, uh, Ozark, and Outer Banks are uh, two great shows as well. What have you been doing during quarantine? Yeah, I watched Tiger King when it first came out. There was about a month or so where uh, where we had to quarantine just at home. So I, I got through Tiger King, got to play a little bit of FIFA with, uh, with some of my high school boys and stuff. Um, but since then, ever since I've been able to go outside, I've uh, been able to golf, work out outside. Um, that sort of stuff. Go for walks, go for runs. Uh, I try to stay away from the TV shows and stuff uh, when I can. How crazy was Tiger King for you? Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Like, it was awesome just because that's the old, like, that's what the world was talking about. Too. Yeah. Like, all my buddies would be talking about it, everything. Um, it was crazy just to think about that, like, a couple weeks, uh, like, three months ago when it almost felt like everything was standing still. Yeah, uh, everybody was talking about that, so it's pretty pretty cool to watch it. But then, obviously, like so much stuff has gone on, so it's kind of like taking the background. Big time. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard, but actually, Carol Baskins owns Joe Exotic Zoo now. Yeah, I know. I heard that. It's crazy. Every uh, every five minutes, there'd be a new twist or something. Oh yeah, it's wild. It's almost tough to keep up with. But yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty wild. 
it would blindside you just like out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. The uh, one of the craziest parts was the woman who uh, who got her hand chopped off. Yeah, and then she goes in an interview and she's like, "Honestly, it happened." That we were <laughs> like, "What are you talking about?" Just all calm, cool, and collective. You know, daily business as usual. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's crazy. That's crazy. Who influenced you to start hockey? Um, my my parents, my brother. We uh, we lived in a community where there was an outdoor rink just a couple houses down in the park. Um, so literally from the age of two, three, we were able to go out there and just try it out. My dad always built an outdoor rink in our backyard. Um, it's probably only like 10 feet by 20 feet, but it was enough to, uh, to get some ice going, get a chair so I could hold on. But um honestly ever since i was three i've been playing hockey my brother's been playing hockey my dad still plays hockey my mom gets out there so it's always it's always kind of just ran in the family any winter time growing up in ottawa did you tend to cheer for the senators as a kid yeah i uh we we would like have the half season tickets to the sens games we get to go to a bunch of the games and um we're about 20 minutes from the rink so um, it was always a special occasion when we got to go out there and, uh, and enjoy a game with my dad, brother. Um, it was always electric. Now, Ottawa is more known for their tourism than their hockey team, I would say. What would you say is your favorite thing about, you know, living in Ottawa? Well, now that I kind of have my life here, like went to high school, um, have all my buddies here, I, I think the, the coolest thing is just being able to uh, go outside, see all my buddies in my community, pretty much get to do everything I want within walking distance, um, which is always awesome because I always felt a bit disconnected from my high school buddies when I went to school and, uh, and my family. So I finally get to hang out with them a ton in the summers, which I'll, I'll honestly never take for granted again. It's just really nice living here because everybody's so close knit. Was there a player growing up who you wanted to model your game after? Evgeny Malkin and Crosby were always like the guys I looked up to got like their jersey for Christmas kind of thing. Um, but there were so many guys. I always, I just watched a ton of hockey all the time, but I'd, I'd always take like, Phil Kessel on Toronto at the time, Crosby, Malkin, all guys who were just so entertaining to watch. It wasn't even as much trying to take something from their game or model my game after them. It was just, they create a side of hockey, or at the time, created a side of hockey that maybe some people hadn't seen before, and I just thought it was awesome. It, it made everything so much more electric. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the NHL is, is trending towards the more skillful way, you know, with players like Austin Matthews, McDavid. Like, all these players are so skilled. Unbelievably skilled, unbelievably fast. Um, I definitely think that's the way it's trending. It's crazy. Everybody, everybody's working on that nonstop in the gym, on the ice. So that's kind of like as a, as a herd, everybody's getting there. And then obviously you see um, like the Connor McDavid's who, who kind of just like break apart from that and are so ahead and uh, just awesome to watch. Would you be able to speak about your road to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So growing up, I played in Ottawa, got to stay at home. Um, we kind of have a double A AA and triple A league um, up until we're about 17, 16. And at 15, most guys get drafted to the OHL or the QMJHL. I didn't get drafted or anything. And uh, so that was kind of, at that point, you're 15 and just finished minor midget. 
and I didn't get drafted. So I didn't really know what, what was going to happen with hockey. That was kind of a crossroads where I was like either going to try to pursue something else or just dial it in and figure it out, get, get my body feeling way better, clear up anything and just work on it. And I got an opportunity to play major midget the following year um, when a lot of guys would go junior A or OHL. And then that opened up um, being drafted to play junior A in Ottawa. And then I got to play a couple of years of junior A in Ottawa. Um, got to stay at home. And it's a team that's not here anymore in the CCHL, but it's the Gloucester Rangers. And uh, so I played two years there. My first year in November, December, I committed to um, Princeton. Um, and I got to have like great four years there, got to play with some awesome guys um, and just have one of the best four years of my life, really. And it was just so awesome to be able to play, to just grow as a player and um, just work on everything, but obviously focus on school and other things, other facets of life as well. But it, it opened up a pathway to hockey that, honestly, I had, I had never felt I could attain before, kind of. Like, not being drafted, not, not ever having that fast road. And so, finally, like, being there, it kind of opened it all up. And um, all the coaches I've had, even though I haven't been, like, the biggest guy, the fastest guy, they've always been there to support me along the way. And every single coach... And honestly, with all their players that have supported supported me and um, just let me do what I need to do at each step to just get better and work on myself and keep working on myself um, to open up those opportunities. So obviously just thankful for them and thankful for the opportunity that I have right now. Like you mentioned, you played at Princeton University for four years, accomplishing the record of Princeton's all-time leading goal scorer with 75 goals. Could you speak about that achievement? Yeah, I think it, it speaks a lot more to the guys I was playing with. We uh, we had a, a, an awesome team for uh, for the four years. And our junior year, we got to uh, go on a little bit of a run and win the ECAC title. Um, but I was, I was playing with unbelievable players who, who were more pass-first guys. So I think that that record speaks way more to them and uh, just how good they were the four years that I was able to play with them. It's uh it's honestly incredible. Like, obviously, it's an honor, but but it's it's more an honor to be able to say that I played with those guys and got to experience it for four years um, in that environment. Now, a lot of successful NHL players go undrafted. You know, names like Martin St. Louis, Ed Belfort, Curtis Joseph, among those. Does that provide any motivation for you to prove the critics wrong? Absolutely. And I don't think it's as much other guys who have done it before. I think it's proving people wrong every single every single year. That's what I think about when I'm away from the rink, when I'm not working out. It's it's like what can I do that a lot of other guys maybe won't do that day, and just try to just try to find my own way. It's like instead of being down on myself and and taking a step back from it, it's trying to grind and trying to trying to figure it out just for myself because obviously I have skill sets that. Um, that might fall short to a lot of people might might be like good against other people but it's kind of trying to find that balance where work on my weaknesses a ton and I don't I don't really look towards guys that haven't been drafted I've never really thought about it like that it's more just what I can do to try to keep up with those guys who are getting those opportunities right away being drafted being in the systems already I need to find a way to get that opportunity and then excel from there 
You signed your entry level deal in March of 2019 with uh, the Detroit Red Wings. What were your What were the emotions going through your head when you signed your first pro deal? Obviously, it was a dream come true to be able to play pro hockey. And then, obviously, with the Red Wings, such an awesome organization, and I really can't thank them enough for the opportunity that I was given and um, just like a dream to fulfill. That's uh, that's one of the things I've always wanted to do and I've always worked towards. And um, it was also really eye opening. I uh, getting to play pro hockey after playing um, at school for four years it was was incredible. And um, it's kind of just trying to try to figure out my own way the same way that like when I wasn't drafted, I have to find my way through it and try to figure out what I can what I can do in each system to um, to help the team out. That's the biggest thing that I have to think about day in and day out, no matter what, is I have to find a way that's going to help the team out, and I have to work on that. So I think that opportunity was incredible. And then obviously playing most of the year in Grand Rapids um, under a great coaching staff, awesome team. Um, and then finally getting traded was a bit of a whirlwind um, just because it was one of the craziest years of my life. And, um, getting traded to Edmonton and playing in Bakersfield, I think, was an awesome experience and um, an awesome group of guys, great coaching staff where where I knew that if maybe if I had more time, I'd, I'd have the opportunity to excel. And, um, yeah, it, it's just been a whirlwind, but I'm lucky to even just have this opportunity and be able to be in the spot that I am to just be able to grind and uh, play hockey. It's pretty cool. Now, with your short tenure with Detroit, you did play your first NHL game alongside of Thomas Vanek and Franz Nielsen. Take yeah. me through that day. Well, it's crazy. I, I've always looked up to those guys, and they were super nice trying to get me into the system. And uh, it was just a whirlwind, honestly. You're playing with these guys who, um, who are established NHLers, and um, it, it was so fun and just so cool to experience that. And um, kind of try to take with me whatever I can to build my own career and start my own career that I hope is, is just as long lasting. And I respect those guys so much and they're such good players that it was just such an honor to, uh, to be on the ice with them. Was doing too much, uh, in your head a little bit? Like, you obviously don't want to make the wrong play. You don't want to do too much, you know, you know what I'm saying? Of course. I, I completely agree with that. And um, like the more you're thinking in anything you do, the, the less you're going to accomplish really. And I think that's a, that's a big change. Anytime you're in a new system, anytime you're playing with a new team, it's kind of been every level that I've played at. It's finding a balance of being able to think and just being comfortable in the system, but then also using that to your advantage. It's, it's so tough. And when you're playing with the best players in the world, that trying to find that balance is really tough, but that's, that's part of the process. And that's, that's honestly why I'm so lucky to have been able to play with those guys and see what, what their journey has been like and see how they play. It's just incredible for me to try to figure that out and, and work on it because it's one of the biggest challenges in my life. Now this is quite famous for the NHL. Did they ever give you a rookie lap? Uh, no, they don't. They didn't do the rookie lap in Detroit, but, but they have a couple other traditions. And um, I was obviously just really thankful for those guys uh, for bringing me in because obviously they played a whole season um, together and, and I'm just a small, a small piece of the puzzle when it comes to the end of the year. And um, I, I was just happy to be there and happy to contribute whatever I could. So um, yeah, it, it was just really cool and obviously really nice of them to uh, bring me aboard. 
You unfortunately mentioned that you did get sent down to Grand Rapids. How did you adjust to the different play styles at the AHL level? Honestly, both are extremely fast. Both are like playing with some of the best hockey players in the world. And I, I, I don't think I was – obviously, I was disappointed that I wasn't at that level. But that's kind of how I've been for, for my whole life and trying to figure it out. And the only way in my life that I've been able to get to that next level is trying to find my way at, at a lower level, whether it was like a junior A, like minor midget when I wasn't even close to the top and um, just trying to find a way. And I think playing in the AHL, you see similar guys in similar spots as me who, uh, who have been there maybe a couple extra years and are, are really just trying to like starting to find themselves and finding success. And I get to talk to them, see, see what they've been going through, see their work ethic and practice. And that's just something that I have to match if I'm going to try to get there. So I think, I think it was a blessing to, uh, to be able to see these guys. And I have nothing but the most respect for all these guys that absolutely grind and uh, show up day in, day out, wanting to push each other. And obviously it's for individual success at the end of the day when everybody kind of gets away from the rink and is working on it in the summer. But these guys come together so well and play for each other. And I think that's what's awesome. And that's what pushes – especially the new guys who aren't in that position to go way further with everything that they do in order to help the team. Was there a specific player or coach that mentored you down in Grand Rapids? Um, I think a couple of the older guys um, were awesome to watch. One of, uh, one of my closest buddies there was, uh, was Chris Terry. And uh, so he, he was awesome. It was away from the rink at the rink. Um, I, I'd get to talk to him, but there were so many guys, so many of the older guys that, um, that were so approachable and, uh, we got to hang out with, talk about, and anytime I was, uh, I wasn't having much success. I got to talk to them, see, see how they were feeling, but there were so many guys on that team, um, that, that were approachable and so good for the younger players. It's, it's crazy. And I think, um, I think that's why they've had success. Those older guys, they've had so much success because, they're awesome guys, but they're also there to, to help the younger guys, especially if they see something that I could be improving or, or doing differently or getting my confidence up. It's, uh, it's just awesome to see that. Now, unfortunately, you were traded at the famous trade deadline. Uh, how did you find out? Um, I just got a call at 4 o'clock, um, and it, it, I got a, a call from Keith Gretzky and um, Jay Woodcroft and Sam Kim, who's, uh, who's their like travel guy. And he said, we can get you out by tonight. And, um, I, I would never say, unfortunately, I think, um, being able to play in Grand Rapids is, was one of the best experiences and opportunities I could have had. And even if it, it didn't work out there as well for me, I, I think it was an awesome learning experience. And then the opportunity to play in Bakersfield after that was such a great organization with Edmonton and Bakersfield under great coaches playing with great players. It's kind of, it, it's just something that I have to use as motivation to in a new spot to learn those systems, get, get comfortable and try to excel as a player. Cause at the end of the day, my only job is helping the team and helping push other guys and grow relationships with other guys that that's going to help the team in the long run. And that's what I think is awesome about being at this level is everybody's grinding. Everybody has that journey where, they're not where they want to be right now, but they embrace the situation they're in and embrace the opportunity that they're given to be on a team and, 
and play to get into the playoffs and play um, for the cup. I, I just think it's awesome and an awesome experience to, uh, to be a part of it. How long did it take you to adjust to the different systems in Bakersfield? I, I don't think very long. Um, it, they, they play an open style of play where if you have to cut routes short to, to get to the spot, you have to be, it's all about just supporting and, uh, and just trying to read the play. I think that was the biggest thing is like, if I, I just have to know how people might like react and then try to read it. And yeah, it took a few, it took a few games and it'll still take a few games, um, regardless, but, uh, I think it was an awesome system and something that I can excel in. Since you are in the AHL, what's it like knowing that each game could be your last, given the fact that you could get called up? Yeah, of course. But I, I've always taken it one day at a time. I've never looked um, to the future or look to anything, especially you kind of realize that in the summer when it's an absolute grind. Mm-hmm. You probably felt the same way. Like when, when you're doing the work behind the scenes, there's no point looking ahead when, when you have a, a, something to do. And I think every day – I every day the last like 10 years I've never really I've had those goals but I've never really thought about like what's going to happen the next day when when I have to grind every day just to keep up with how good these players are and how hard they're working it's like it's just not something that you can do how do you keep your life balanced because you know athletes deal with a lot of ups and downs during the season 100 percent, and and a lot of times more downs than ups especially because Mm -hmm. everybody's so hard on themselves and being at the rinks, the best part, you, you get to work hard. You get to work with awesome strength coaches, players, coaches, everything that's literally designed to make you play better and, and become a better player, period. So it's more away from the rink, trying to figure out what, what I have to do to play better, to contribute more, all these things that with a new level and a new team, it's so tough to do. That's where the challenges come when I'm trying to, away from the rink when I don't have those support systems to, to work on a, an aspect of my game. I have to, I have to think about it and, and try to figure out ways to stay positive when maybe I'm like in a bit of a slump or something where I have to figure out what's the best way to contribute the next day. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, like you said, um, you got to kind of stay balanced. You know, you have to think about the positives, but you also have to deal with the negatives that come with it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's a mental battle for sure. Mm-hmm. Everybody will tell you it's a mental battle with any, any profession that you're doing. It's a mental battle and you just got to stay above it. And maybe that's where the, uh, the day, like the day to day look of it is where I want to just like focus on what I have to do today, because that's where, when you start thinking about the next day and the next day and where maybe you're not where you aren't, where you want to be that's when it can start holding you down. But if you go day to day, you get the opportunity to be with the best players in the world and best coaches in the world, best physical trainers in the world. How could you not just look at that as a new like day to grind and figure it out? Yeah. Uh, what would be a typical game day for you? So normally we have pregame skate. Most, most weekends we play like Friday, Saturday. So a team will come for two games. And so let's say – I, I was at home. I'd, I'd go to the rink around 8. We'd skate around 10. And it's pretty much just trying to get loose, get in the hot tub, get in the gym, just just feel good, get, just pretty much wake up 
and uh, get ready for morning skates. The skate's probably only like 20, 30 minutes, and then you get to just work on whatever you have to do. Pretty high pace, but just gets the mind going. And then we have a pregame meal right after that. And so if you're at home, you just go back to your apartment. I, uh, I'm pretty big on eating breakfast on game days, kind of like for my pregame meal whenever I can. If not, I'm eating chicken and pasta on the road. And then uh, take a nap for me. I'll just see how I'm feeling. If I'm, if I'm feeling like awake and the, the coffee's hitting hard, I'll, uh, I'll only have like a 30-minute nap. But if I need it, I'll take a two, three-hour nap, just depending on how I feel. And then uh, just trying to stay loose as well. That's the hardest part. When you, when you look, when you're just thinking too much about it, then you, then you start overthinking your routine. But um, nap, get up, shower, throw the suit on, have another quick bite to eat get to the rink maybe two and a half hours before the game. And you pretty much get an hour before all the team systems to, um, to work on yourself, make sure everything's feeling good. If someone's not feeling good, get in the, get in the training room, all that sort of stuff. And then you have team systems for about 20, 30 minutes, making sure everybody's on the same page, talk about what we talked about all week in practice. And then, uh, and then you get another team warm up. Um, for like 10, 20 minutes, play sewer ball, um, and then get back into the locker room, throw the music on, get ready for warm up, and and then it's just from there on you've done all the preparation. Now I know this may sound like a stupid question, but how busy are you during the season? Busy is in what way? Uh, well, you know, like uh, you do play what like three games on the weekend. Are you uh, yeah, like your so Friday, Saturday, Sunday? So are you like? open for the rest of the week or yeah honestly it's normally three games a week and and for the other like three of the other four days you're practicing and then you have one day off every week so any every day you have free time except for maybe game days depending on some people have tons of free time for me I try not to I just have my routine with the nap like any free time I have I just fall asleep um but then there are other times when, um, like after practice, you can do whatever you want. You, uh, you can go grocery shopping, um, do whatever you have to do, uh, maybe get out on the golf course, do stuff that's maybe going to take your mind off it. Because at the end of the day, when you're at the rink, you're grinding. You're doing everything you can to feel good. And if you need to take time away from the rink to work on yourself and get ready for the next day, you do that. But if not, then you just try to get out of it, try to just live life and and just come back fresh and ready to go for the next day. How do you keep busy during the off season? I, I have like my, my trainer. So pretty much six times a week, five times a week, I'll be in the gym. And that's pretty much from 10 AM to 1230. And so I'll wake up a bit early, um, make sure I get a good breakfast, grab my buddy who lives in the same neighborhood, who, uh, who's also in like similar position, went to school together. He's now with Toronto system, same Max Verano. So we kind of do everything together. And, uh, and then after one o'clock, once we like grab lunch after our workouts, either we have like some sort of skating session or skating sessions late at night. Um, and then we have about six, seven hours to either go to the golf course uh, maybe just go for walks. I'll always grab like an iced coffee during the day um, just to feel good. If I have to take a nap, I take a nap, especially if I was in the sun working out or golfing. I always feel horrible after. 
Um, so I, I try to uh, just w- whatever we can. We love to golf. We love to just get outside and just enjoy the summer because in Ottawa and obviously in Burlington, it's the same. It's just winters are so tough to yeah. get outside and do stuff where you just want to take advantage of it. So uh, we, we love golfing. We love just getting outside, going for walks, just going downtown, all that kind of stuff to just just enjoy it when when we're outside of the workouts uh, at the end of the day. It's like that part is very similar to what, what you just asked about being in the season is like we have our job and and everything geared towards those workouts, yoga sessions and skates that when we're away from those, if we do have to think about it, we will. But if we don't, then we love to just get out and, and just go do stuff that's going to completely take our mind off it. Have you been a part of a teddy bear toss game? Uh, yeah, once. And uh, it was awesome. Like, it's just crazy in Grand Rapids. It was, uh, it was absolutely insane. And, uh, and because at school, we didn't, we didn't really have that to like a certain extent where everybody's throwing them on the ice. But, um, but it was pretty cool. It's, it's such a good experience and obviously for a good cause too. But uh, we had a tradition at school. So when we played Dartmouth, um, there, there's like a little bit of a rivalry where a long time ago, Princeton would kill Dartmouth in hockey. And so the Princeton newspaper published an article that said Dartmouth was just better off playing tennis. Oh, no. In, instead of hockey. So every time we play there, we play there once a year. And every time we're there, the stadium's packed. And uh, everybody has these big bags of tennis balls. And when they, when they score, they just start launching tennis balls. <laughs> it's the craziest tradition I've ever seen. You can go online and see it. But everybody's getting pegged with tennis balls. It's wild. Like, every student's just aiming at the players. Like, <laughs> That's the best. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's so fun to be a part of that because we get to just, like, it, it fires us up to play way better. So if they do score, hopefully we have like a couple goal lead or something, but um, it's wild. It's wild. And if you're on the ice for it, you just feel brutal, especially there were a couple of years where uh, like they scored early on in the game and there's nothing worse, like nothing worse than giving up a, an early goal. Oh yeah. Um, after like all you've talked about, but after that, just getting absolutely bombarded by tennis balls for like honestly 10 minutes and then having to wait 20 minutes while they clean it up. So there's a lot to think about, you know? What would be more insane, the tennis balls or the teddy bears? Honestly, the tennis balls. The teddy bears, like, everybody gets out and goes to, like, help out. Mm-hmm. With the tennis balls, we – because it's for a good cause, you know? Yeah. Like, everybody just rounds them up, like, helps everyone. The tennis balls is way more ruthless. Like, we just sit oh, on yeah. and we just get absolutely – pounded by tennis balls they're all over the bench all over the ice people are throwing fish on the ice and if somebody throws a fish on the ice it just smells like that for the rest of the period in the zone and it's crazy man it's hilarious i got to say that's one of the craziest traditions i've ever heard throughout yeah, all my interviews i've done I mean, it's never to that extent that yeah, is you insane. have to look it up you have to look it up it's really cool to be a part of it too it's hilarious now, you've been part of both the NHL and AHL media. What would you say is the biggest difference? Um, I think the, H, or the NHL gets more coverage, let's say. But, but I think it's very similar. They're both trying to tell stories. Um, they're both trying to uh, 
try to get kind of inside of like what the team's feeling because at the end of the day it's the players and the coaches and the trainers that are going through all those closed door meetings and that's where the vibe of the team is and so like the heart of the team is there but the the media is so important for like a team and a city to kind of link the the team aspect of it and the fans because both have such a big heart for the organization depending on no matter the size of the fan base and the media's job is to get exactly how the players and coaches are feeling and broadcast it to the fans because at the at the end of the day that's what sports are like everybody is so endeared by like the fans are so endeared by the team and um just like want to feel a part of it which is exactly what being a fan is and that's what I've been for hockey for so long I want to feel exactly what what like other players are feeling and stuff like that when when I'm watching them on TV and so both medias whether it's the NHL AHL try to get that message across to the fans in in the most honest way possible and when it's going well it's going well the media has something to talk about in a positive light when it's going badly it's the same thing it's trying to connect the fans and it's not only just trying to find the positives and everything it's finding the negatives because that's how the fans react to it as well. Yeah. You definitely spoke on all of the big points when you're dealing with, you know, media, whether it's from both levels or just one. 100%. And there might be like people who um, kind of put a, a, a different light on media. Let's say like a negative light on media when a story gets published or something that had no right being published um, stuff like that, where, where players might feel blindsided and stuff. And then that story, when a story like that breaks and there's media on that story, that's when things kind of like get away from that, that trying to like integrate the fans with the team where, where it kind of separates that. So I think that's why people see it in a negative way when really it's a positive way only to like the media's only job is to help fans connect with the team. And that's why they're so important is because the fans are what makes the team popular. All the biggest fan bases, all the biggest teams in the world rely on their fan bases. And the media is, is the sole way of connecting the two. And so that's why the media is so important and so like positive for fan bases and players, regardless of like what people think. You definitely hit the nail on the head there. Like I, you know, I never really looked at it in the way that you're looking at it. I think that uh, with media, the more uh, way to go about it, the more popular way to go about it is just negative. Yeah. That's how I perceive it. But But I also think that's because people like to talk more about something that's negative, which is completely like completely fair. Like when there's something negative, people have more things to say when it's positive they have less things to say that's in anything in life. When something's negative, you think about it way more than something that's positive. And that narrative, I think, goes a long way when it's negative versus when it's positive. They're already looking towards the next game or something instead of dwelling on something that that could be seen as a negative light, whether it's individual, a team, a coach, anything. Like it just gets dwelled on way more when it's negative. Which is the unfortunate part, because obviously the positive news is what we should be hearing, what we should be wanting to hear. I, I agree with that, but I also think the negative sides of portraying a team maybe that's like struggling only leads. So it's going to, that's how the fans are going to feel. The fans are always going to have hope, but 
the negative portrayal of a team is obviously brutal for everybody involved, but that's how the team's feeling. There's yeah. never a time when the team's feeling like great and the media's portraying them as not feeling great. It's all about winning for the fans and for like the players. There's no like better sense of fulfillment than doing it with that backing that we have with all our fans. That's what the best part of like sports is, you know? And so I think that's like, that's why it's so massive to have that positive light where it's going to, one, uh, one story I always think about is Leicester city in soccer. They hadn't, yeah. they hadn't even qualified for the, uh, thanks, for the top division um, in like a bunch of years. And then finally had those breakout years. And then finally Jamie Vardy em- emerges as like a, a star in like the EPL. And it, it turns into this story that's so incredible. And because it was broadcasted in a negative light or like a light where like they weren't even in the top division, now the media, the same media that's been with them in Leicester for so long gets to show them in this light as in like they're literally the champions of the world. I think it's just like phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, the odds for them to win the trophy of the EPL were just like next to none. Yeah, it was like 5,000 to one or something and they're 20 teams. Yeah, it's probably one of the best stories, like full season stories ever. And uh, so, but I think the media is like the reason they get to be portrayed like that because the fans are always going to be there. The players are always going to be there. It's trying to find that interaction between the two that that's going to make everybody's experience with it that much better. And I think that, you know, like you said, uh, media, that broadcast to the fans, you know, that's a huge part of it because you obviously want to connect them to the team. Exactly. That's the media's only job. Mm-hmm. Like, like the media portrays the team or whoever they're covering in order for people to listen to it. And, and media personalities come about when they get to tell their own story. And it's like an author. When you've read like a few of their books, you kind of know how the author is living life. You want to like see it. Same with an actor. The media is the mm-hmm. exact same way. They're portraying a story and they're trying to link the fans with somebody else and using their platform as the middle ground, which makes it so much more powerful when, when the fan gets to see the, the media person or the influencer as a person as well and not just like a direct link between like athletes or and fans or like movies and fans it's about finding that person to tell the story which is so much more important yeah definitely now i don't want to shine this on a negative light but uh you know throughout your playing career who would you say is the best and worst teammate to room with on a road trip um honestly so many guys have been like good roommates um one of the, one of the best ones, especially like in my pro career, was uh, rooming with Gustav Lindstrom, and uh, so he, um, like he and I were just like really good buddies, and we got to room with each other while we were in Grand Rapids, and then eventually he got called up and has stayed with Detroit since then. Um, but he's an awesome guy, huge golfer, like from Sweden, like great guy. But obviously in school, I got to also like room with like some of my like closest buddies as well. And, and honestly, anybody you I've lived with on the road has been, like, awesome. There's never been, like, any, like, negative stories about it. Maybe sometimes I felt more intimidated or something, especially at school. I'm, like, rooming with an older guy or something. But 
it's never uh, it's never been something negative. Just because everybody respects everybody's space, everybody's routine on game day, and you just kind of want to stay out of each other's way. And that's pretty much like the extent of rooming on the road. Like you'll try to go for dinners and stuff, but um, but but I think it's been like really good. And everybody's such a, like a good guy that, and everybody respects everybody. So I th- I think it's awesome. I love those Swedes, man. Like you hear it all the time in the media. I think like just Swedes are so nice to everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like when you have it in uh like have some stuff in common, it's awesome. And like mm-hmm. I tried I tried to learn a bit of Swedish, but uh I'm absolutely terrible at it. So <laughs> uh but it, yeah, it, it was a good time. And and obviously in school, it was the same thing. Like I got to room with like a couple of my like really good buddies, like Max Ferno, who I like I'm literally with every day, golf with, train with, everything. Like I kind of take that for granted though, you know, getting mm-hmm. with him just because like we stayed in the same dorm in school for like a couple of the four years, like that kind of thing where like I'm always with him. So like I'm talking about like somebody else that's just like not that, that same, you know? Yeah, definitely. Now I don't want to reveal uh, too much about you, but what would be your go-to shootout move? Oh, I, uh, I, I can't reveal like the 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 most go to, but anything to try to get the goalie off his line a little bit. That's what the that's what the shootout's all about. Is just find a way. I think uh, somebody to watch that I, I've always loved is uh, T.J. Oshie. Oh yeah, he. It doesn't matter which way he comes in. He's always just trying to find which way the goalie's going, and and that's why you you just have to have like a go to start, like a go to from the red line to maybe the hash marks. And then until then, like after that, you're you're making up your mind there, and you're trying to execute. So maybe well, not a go, maybe not a go-to, but from the red line to the hash marks, it's all about trying to figure out what the goalie's thinking. Well, I mean, Oshie obviously had that four-goal shootout game against Russia in 2018. You know, that's just incredible how he kept kept going up and kept scoring. hundred percent. But he also, I think, he went four for six. So yeah. He's going 66%, and he's, like, seen as a hero, which, is like, obviously he was, like, at the time. Like, that that was incredible to beat Russia. But every time he came in, he came in from the side, went to the middle, and then he executed. Mm-hmm. And he had that 5-0-1 that worked. I think he was going against Bobrovsky, right? He was, yes. Yeah. So he, he would go 5-0, and then he'd go fake, like, backhand, forehand, shelf. And he did that twice. Once he scored, once he didn't. Then he had the backhand. But then I'm pretty sure he, like, finished it with the five hole or something. And, like, mixing it up but having that same, like, that pattern is awesome for trying to figure out what the goalie's doing, like, how the goalie's dealing with his own momentum. It's stuff like that. Like, you got you to gotta really think about that. That's why I think, like, the shootout's more of, like, an art to try to, like, be able to do everything. It's 95% mental, 5% execution. That's how I see it. Now, as we're concluding our interview here, do you have a funny story to share about your career? Funny story. That that kind of that kind of uh, puts me on the spot a little bit. I think that I think playing wise, I think that tennis ball story is the coolest like experience, and um, I think college kind of offers that experience as well because you're kind of in a bubble. Um, yeah. Like you play, you play these teams so much, and there aren't as many teams, there aren't as many players, that kind of thing, and like you kind of grow to like learn and play with these guys, but. I think another tradition that was so cool was like playing against Cornell where uh, 
they throw like newspapers on the ice anytime like we're getting introduced they have like newspapers above their face to pretend like they're not like um they're not uh like caring kind of thing and uh and then they all throw them on the ice and one time I was standing like right beside the bench for the national anthem for like the starting lineup and uh I didn't really start like that often but I like started a huge game and like Cornell got the start like I'm like super nervous like oh the yeah smallest ever the fans are right on top of you these guys all they do is finish their hits and uh so I'm just like thinking like trying to like stay focused and uh I literally like from the side I get a bunched up newspaper <laughs> to my neck and it just like lodged into my helmet and my shoulder pads and uh that kind of like broke the ice I was dying laughing <laughs> they're um, in your head man yeah exactly <laughs> like after that I was like um like I was a bit like less uh less serious and which which is obviously like way better when you're not as nervous kind of thing and you're looser but I, I think that was that was pretty funny. And then another thing is like at school, um, we got to we had like two months before and after every year to like obviously like have school, but also like team bonding. We uh, at school we run this like uh, moving and storage um, company. So like we get there a week, two weeks before like all the rest of the students do, and we like move uh, move furniture out of like dorms, put it into a storage facility, and then. We have everybody lives on campus for all four years, so we have their rooms for the next year that had already been picked out in the spring, and uh, and we get to like bring it into their new rooms. I thought that was like one of the coolest things about school is just like it's a grind, but also like super good to get to know the guys and something that like I would never have done um, more for like being at school and like being in that bubble, you know? Yeah, definitely. You know, obviously, uh, I, I've never played university hockey, but uh, it's very cool that you at least get to know where you're living for the next year. Yeah, exactly. I, you get to choose it, like, the, the year before, same with all the classes and stuff. So, at least you have, like, a little bit of an idea when you're moving in. It's not as much as, like, a, as like a clumped up, like, mess. Yeah. 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 Now, final question here on the podcast. Uh, do you have any advice for aspiring hockey players that may look up to you? Absolutely. I think the biggest thing somebody can do is figure out one thing a day that they can work on. And – and that doesn't take much effort at all when people have other stuff going on and other people have other priorities maybe most of the time or don't have access to the rink. If you can find one thing to work on every single day, it's only going to make you improve and it's only going to help the way you think about the sport. So for me, like, obviously I played like a ton of sports, like growing up, um, just in the community in the summers, like I got to play soccer, lacrosse, different sports, but every day I'd like, I'd get to think of something that would help my hockey. And I think for, for a younger person who doesn't maybe think about hockey as much, like when they're away from the rink, it gives them a way of like trying to figure something out. Maybe it's stick handling, maybe it's passing, something to work on that's only just going to help them just a little bit, help them think about it just a bit more. And it makes it way more fun when you're kind of like way more free to to make these plays work on what you want to work on outside of the rink. Even if like the coach just has you – doing conditioning for a whole uh a whole session and I think that goes for anything that like I want to do in life is like I want to figure out something that's going to like help me out with it no matter what every single day well I'd like to thank Bakerfield Condors forward Ryan Kuffner for joining me on today's podcast thank you again Ryan yeah of course man thanks for having me and obviously anytime uh you need uh need to have me on again just uh send me a text 
Awesome. Thank you. I yeah, appreciate it, man.